Lord, after a, a week that can only be described as rough and brutal, as we have seen the consequences of hatred and the rebellion against your reign throughout our nation, give us grace, O God, who has revealed yourself to us, to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. Soften our hearts in the power of your Holy Spirit to receive your word today. In the name of Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was the a St. Louis resident, or at least was born here, um, amateur American philosopher and former Major League Baseball player Yogi Berra, who once famously said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Well, you have no choice, really, but uh, that is what we're facing here in today's passage from Psalm 47, which uh, you can find in your Bibles or on page 8 of the bulletin. Psalm 47, which proclaims that the Lord is king over the entire earth, that our Savior has been enthroned as king over all that exists. And we have that proverbial fork in the road before us. Now, in response to this reality of the Lord's reign, we can either rejoice or rebel. This is most appropriate for today being Ascension Sunday in which we celebrate and remember the establishing of Jesus at the Father's right hand, which in ancient times would have signified in a royal court, the person to the right hand of the monarch would have all the privileges, all the rule, equal standing with the monarch. And so with all the glory and power and rule that that signifies, that glorious truth threads itself throughout Psalm 47 leading us to our fork in the road, how are we going to respond today? And because the Lord reigns, this psalm entreats us and invites us and compels us to respond with joy to him and for the good of the world. And we see this in two uh, truths that sort of slalom together throughout this psalm. It's not a clear breakdown, but it's sort of threaded throughout. First, we see the, the reign of the king. Uh, the, this uh, the, this uh, psalm, uh, which uh, arose during the time of the old covenant people of God, ancient Israel, was also used uh, during the time of the church uh, to, uh, to commemorate and celebrate the ascension of Christ uh, and, and here, the, the genius uh, of this psalm, as the, the, the writers uh, of, this, of this song uh, put it forth, were not merely just told to praise God. We're not given the directive. We are given the indicative, uh, the reason, that what is the fuel in the tank for us. We are given the why before we are told the what's. We, are see, we see that God is king over all the earth um, in verse 2. Uh, he reigns comprehensively. Verse 3, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet, compelling the people of God then to remember the way that the Lord brought them out of slavery in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, 
or that portion thereof, the, the many battles that they face and the victories that God won for them through his power and his exercise of that dominion. Uh, part of his reign is not just ruling, but also loving his people. Verse 4, he chose our heritage for us. He gave us a place. He oversees our welfare, in other words, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. He is officially enthroned in verse 5. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet and all the fanfare that goes with the coronation of a king. And his reign is not just a one-point place in time, but we see that it is perpetual. In verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God goes on. The, the, the force of the Hebrew verb there is he goes on reigning over the nations from his throne. And not only from there, but his reign is so expansive. It's over all the earth. Verse 9, the princes of the peoples gather. The shields of the entire earth belong to God. It's really staggering when we consider this, what the claim that this psalm is making, that there is no place on earth, there is not a micrometer of any scrap of territory that God does not claim for his kingdom. There is not a, an inch, as the Dutch thinker Abraham Kuyper once said, there is not one square inch of creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Now for us, as, as people of God, as followers of Jesus, we, that, that's a component of our faith believing that the reign of Christ is comprehensive, and we can say, oh yes, that is what this world needs to hear. That's what our society needs to get inside of itself. That's what our culture needs to submit to. And I'd agree with that. But let's not forget about turning this in on ourselves individually as well. Because we can have a very far-sighted view of the Lord's reign, and we can still forget what's right in front of us. We can neglect that Jesus rules over our desires. He is the one who oversees and determines our true needs. He is the one who has power over our passions. He is the one who is absolute over our appetites and who conquers our yearnings and, de and also tells us and get gets inside and chisels away and helps us to see when our ambitions and our motives go wide of the mark. Because it's very easy, isn't it? You don't have to get very far into the week to recognize it is easy to divide the kingdom of God and the kingship of Christ. And we can praise him on Sunday and yet disdain his rule on Wednesday. There was an 
incidents my first semester here at Covenant Seminary. It had nothing to do with the seminary, mind you. It's a, it's a great place. Uh, but um, one of my roommates had to take his car in for service at, a, uh, at an auto mechanic, and I'm not going to mention the name of the auto mechanic to protect the guilty in this situation. But... Um, but, but my roommate, Dave, went in, had some work done on his car, got it back, and it was pretty clear within half a day of driving around that the mechanic had done some pretty shoddy work. Uh, you know, used, but not, and there's a difference between used parts and just absolutely battered parts that aren't going to do a lick of good. Uh, and, and so what had been asked for was not really done, and what was done was done at a very half-hearted level, and it, it was clear that David had gotten this car back in worse condition than when he had taken it in, which is, that, that's not good for, 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 a, for a review. So um, he went back and he confronted the mechanic about this, and, and this there was a great deal more consternation from my roommate because this auto mechanic was a churchgoer, went to a very strong evangelical church in the St. Louis area and was known as a faithful churchgoer. And so Dave confronted him along the lines of, this is not just regarding your auto mechanic work, but as a Christian believer, Okay, where we are supposed to do our work the best as if we're doing it to the Lord. This is very disturbing. To which the auto mechanic said, looked at him and said, well, all that is irrelevant. Church is one thing and my work is another thing. But how often, now granted, it may not be with auto work, but... Take inventory of your life throughout a week and think, where are the places that I am stiff-warming the reign of Christ from this passion, from this desire, from this level of waywardness? How often do I try to stiff-arm Jesus away? No, no, no. The Lord's reign is global. It is also inwardly. It is not only out there but it takes place within each of us and how desperately we need to recall that and submit to the reign of Christ and beg forgiveness and cleansing of the Holy Spirit when, that, when we fail in that regard. So not only the reign of the king, but we see here the appropriate response of the people, of his people. We have the reason legitimizing our response in his reign, how comprehensive it is, and now we can do so accordingly, and how exuberant this is. Verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy. So the exuberance that, that comes from being subjects of the kingdom of God. Uh, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 6, we see this um, repeated uh, phrase, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, as if, you know, in, in case you didn't get it the first time, maybe the third or fourth time, it'll sink in. Uh, and not only singing praises, not only making a loud noise, but to do so skillfully. To, to do so in a way that, that, that weaves uh, the gifts and the creativity that we may have. You say, how does that happen? Well, in verse 7, in response to God being the king of all the earth, 
we are asked to sing praises with a psalm. This insinuates, because when you have a psalm, there's poetry, there is skill, there is crafting going on. To, To not only bring our volume, but to bring it in a way that is skillful, our best, and is evidence that we are image bearers of God, whom he has gifted uh, in different levels of artistic talent. A skillful, melodic response. Does the work of Christ reigning in your life, in my life, in our lives, lead us to rejoice in him? Does that lead us to honor him? And I don't mean in a way where you're trapsing through your neighborhood, raising your hands and blasting Joy FM uh, or, or, or whatever. Um, not, not something of that level, but it's the, the question that we're really asking is, does Jesus Christ have the supreme place of affection in your life? If other people accuse you of being absolutely sold out to Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So that's part of our response, the supreme place of affection in our lives. But we also see that it's it's not just our exuberance. We should have this natural inclination to take this to others. Verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples. We tend to skip on to the next sentence, shout to God with shouts of joy, with loud songs of joy, but that, that little clause right there, all peoples, all nations. God is telling his people then, his covenant band, so to speak, it's bigger than you. My vision is grander than yours. My family is larger than your little clan or whatever. All people. The Lord the Most High, verse 2, is to be feared a great king over, where? All the earth. Not one little enclave. Not one neighborhood. Not one group of people that look alike or think alike or vote alike. Okay, it's much grander than that. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations, not a nation, the nations. And even more grand, we see the princes of the people, rulers, leaders, movers and shakers from all over are gathering as the people, the called ones the family of the God of Abraham, hearkening back to that promise that God gave to Abraham when he first called him. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we are blessed, God is saying in this psalm, through Christ to be a blessing to others and not to hoard it. We not only love and express our desire for the reigning Christ, we also have a passion that that reign be extended to others in other communities, whether they be communities we inhabit or whether those that we don't. This is something that John Smed 
uh, gets a hold of in his in his book Prayer Revolution. Uh, he, there's a chapter in which he applies the ascension of Christ and Jesus' present reign to our prayer life, uh, and it's really just uh, uh, an amazing chapter to, to go through. The whole book is great. But Smed says these words, In bold awareness of Christ's present rule, we do not pray for order in the world. Instead, we pray for a new world order. And as he explains it, Smed goes on to show how it's, this new world order is one in which Christ is at the throne at the center of people's affections and desires. And therefore, we, as God's people, are unleashed to intercede for others locally and globally. We have the opportunity to pray for the oppressed. We have the opportunity to seek the freedom and the opportunity for refugees coming to our shores for liberty for human trafficked women and children, for faithfulness for the persecuted church, to pray, we might apply this week, for the grieving in Uvalde, Texas, and other communities, to pray for solutions to violence, and to pray for those who walk in spiritual blindness so that they might be rescued by the king who desires to save them. Does that mark our prayer life? Is that the oxygen of our intercession before God? Are our hearts alive with that passion, with that anticipation for what our Father can and will do through his reigning Son, Jesus Christ? We have the opportunity to unleash that, and it's in the posture of, of prayer. So, in response to the reign of Christ, we are preparing our hearts, therefore, to give ourselves to Jesus, to give ourselves every day in joy and in seeking others so they might give themselves over to Jesus every day, and it just steamrolls from that. Our response to this reign of Christ is to receive this gift, to give this gift back to God, to His Son Jesus, and to others, and to give it afresh, with, with, with a passion that, that's, um, that, that is staggering. It was in his uh, book, um, A Frozen Hell, that uh, William Trotter, who is a historian at the University of North Carolina, wrote about the, the winter war between Russia and Finland uh, in the winter of 1939 and 1940. This is, uh, it was basically a land grab by the Soviet Union, and uh, tanks were beginning to steamroll across a portion of land that, uh, that was sort of on the border of Finland and the Soviet Union called the Karelian Isthmus. And uh, so the border troops for, for, for the Finnish army were going through uh, different communities and letting people know, look, uh, we, we've, got, we've got to get you out of here. You're in the line of fire. You're in great danger. Let's move you back to where we've got our army lined up and we can protect you better. 
Uh, these were simple people. Many of them were poorly educated. They were, uh, they were uh, fashioning a very marginal, hard-scrabble existence from the land, but they were incredibly durable and tough. Um, and it was one such person that the border troops came across uh, late in this push to get people evacuated. She was an elderly peasant woman. Uh, they came up to her one evening and said, we need you to get all the stuff that you can carry on your back or put on a dog sled and, and just basically get out of here um, because we're going to come back in the morning. We'll, we'll, see you, we'll help see you off, but then we're going to have to burn your house to the ground so that the Russians cannot use it for shelter or for supplies. So she, she said, oh, th that's good. Just, just give me until tomorrow morning. So they came back. Uh, she wasn't there, but her sled was outside, piled high with as much stuff as she could take. She was gone. She had left the note. She was at her neighbor's, and she would be back. Inside, they go inside the farmhouse, and she has left wood, matches, and petrol so they can torch the place, but that wasn't what arrested their attention. She had spent the whole night scrubbing and cleaning that house from top to bottom so that it sparkled. She came back, and as she got on her sled, the soldiers asked her, why did you take so much trouble to clean your house when we were going to burn it? And the elderly woman looked at them and said with a twinkle in her eye, when one gives a gift to Finland, one desires... It should be like new. Now, we're not giving our homes to our nation in times of trouble, but we are called by the Christ who gave himself for us to give ourselves anew to him every day. So to his gracious and kind rule, and in seeking the good of others so that they might do the same, let us commit ourselves this day. Thanks be to God. Now, Lord Jesus, may we respond with the highest daily ongoing joy to your glorious and good reign. May we seek you to rule within us as well as throughout your world. And may we both seek to praise you continually and seek to bring your reign of hope graciously to those whose lives intersect with our own. This we pray in the power of the Spirit to the glory of the Father, and in your name, Messiah Jesus, who is our Savior, our brother, and most certainly our reigning King as well. Amen.